Hi, welcome to Slot Leader. I'm your host Umed Saidov, and in today's episode, we'll be focusing on the Cardano's incentive scheme. My guest today is Lars Brunius. He is the director of education at IOG, who has created, or he is one of the architects behind the Cardano's incentive scheme. This is something that is directly tied to the amount of rewards you get every epoch uh, if you are a stakeholder. So stay tuned. There's a lot of information about how the whole system works and what went into thinking about creating it. And uh, it's a fascinating interview and I hope you find it useful. Before we get to that insightful interview, I would like to take this time to thank everybody who's been watching and listening to our podcast. If you like the content that we're putting together, please don't forget to subscribe as we will have more interesting interviews coming down the road. So one of the most exciting parts of uh, producing a podcast is to uh, read some of the feedback that I get uh, for producing the content. Um, And uh, I have uh, been fortunate enough to receive a lot of uh, positive comments about the content of the uh, podcast and and, um, some of the good suggestions that have been already incorporated, hopefully, in in our episodes. And um, there are some that that I would like to uh, read out loud as as a token of appreciation. And uh, this um, segment is going to be somewhat... um, consistent in every episode I will try to highlight a a couple of uh, comments so please don't hesitate to uh, comment on our YouTube channel and uh, and um, you know voice your concerns or tell us what you think about the show so to get to the comments um, the first one is uh, by Ramon Oros he is asking um, I'm curious to know more about this channel and what it will bring to me and the Cardano community it's a, it's a very good uh, question that I would like to address here because it has uh, a multitude of dimensions that I could not capture if I answered it directly on, on the channel. So the reason why uh, Slot Leader exists is to bridge the knowledge gap between the traditional finance and business um, spheres and that of a blockchain. Now, like it or not, we kind of live in a, in a bubble and uh, we have our own concepts of uh uh, money and our concepts of how the monetary systems work and thereby by and large are alternatives to traditional monetary and financial systems and when you get out of that bubble which I often do um, due to the fact that I have been connected to the financial and business communities there's little knowledge about uh, Cardano as a, uh, a third generation blockchain system that has uh, enormous capabilities and potential. Um, and the general knowledge is about Bitcoin and Ethereum, which are quite honestly are a little bit limited. So um, what I would like to do with this um, podcast is to bridge that knowledge gap. It is especially important with Gogan around the corner and the capabilities that it will bring to our ecosystem that could be useful to the 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 uh, the, the financial and uh, the business uh, communities um, in a traditional world, in in a sense that it, there there could be really good applications of this technology, and I would like to highlight them for um, this audience. So the the idea is to to bring fresh attention, fresh talent, and uh, uh, and and fresh investments into this community. So I hope I will be able to convince a lot of people outside of Cardano community to take a look at this third-generation uh, blockchain system 
and uh, you know expand their mind a little bit about what it can do. Another comment that I would like to basically read out is uh, by Mark Solman. He says, I'm excited about the new Cardano channel as a Cardano uh, stakepool operator. Very clear presentation style, enunciation, and good production values. Thank you so much, Mark. We are trying really hard to produce uh, high quality content and it's really reassuring to see that uh, the stakepool operators like um, this content. And there are many, many of you who have uh, comments in, in, in that similar vein. Um, so I, I, I'm sorry I cannot read all of them, but I would like to thank you from the bottom of my heart. When it comes to blockchain industry news, China takes the spotlight this week. According to the article on Cointelegraph, China recently issued $1.5 million worth of digital yuan to the residents of Shenzhen. Uh, um, this is a pilot project that involves 50,000 residents uh, that will be selected by a lottery to be given uh, digital yuan, which they will be able to spend in the local stores, according to the article. The second piece of news coming out of China involves the application of blockchain technology and IoT in a special case of trade finance called warehouse receipt finance. Now, in Warehouse receipt financing, a bank issues loans against an inventory of assets for a manufacturer, for instance, that has been placed in a special warehouse. Now in China, apparently that's a, an expensive endeavor for banks um, because it's risky and uh, the banks charge um, higher premium or higher interest rate for these kind of transactions. And the application of blockchain technology, according to the article, on Cointelegraph reduces those costs by 40%. I'm glad to see these kind of real-world application of blockchain technology being tested in China and I hope that we will see more of them later on this year in other countries. One of the interesting developments in the Cardano community actually involves another coin called Litecoin. According to the article that I read recently on Reddit, uh, one of the prominent members of this community um, started the discussion about integrating um, Nipopau, which is a concept developed by an IOG researcher, um, to make these two chains interoperable. If implemented, it will mark a another milestone in Cardano's development as a, uh, a blockchain that is interoperable with other blockchains. So I'm quite looking forward to this becoming a norm and um, quite excited about what implication it might have in the future for the Cardano community and beyond. All right, we have our guest here, um, Lars Brunies. He is the Director of Education in IOG. Um, welcome to our show and thank you for so much for coming. Thank you very much, Umet. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yes, Lars, for those few of us who do not know, um, you know, much about uh, Cardano and, and you. Uh, could you tell us briefly about yourself and your role in IOG? Yes, sure. So um, I'm a mathematician by training and uh, have, I mean, first spent some years at university as a postdoc and uh, then also worked as a software engineer and software architect and then joined IOG, I think, three and a half years ago by now um, as a Haskell developer. But um, my parents, no, actually, my mother is a is a teacher, so she has had quite a big influence on me. So when uh, the opportunity came up at 
uh, IHK uh, to teach a Haskell course for Greek students. I volunteered, so they were looking for volunteers and it was quite successful. Um, so that's uh, how I got pushed into education. So then Charles offered me the, the role of uh, director of education at IHK. So since then I've, I've, I've been that. I still try to be involved also in technical aspects. So for example, the incentive scheme, I was on the team that designed that um, because I always feel it's better if you, if you are an educator, if you actually know what's going on. So if you still do like normal work. So I, I do several things at IHK, but my main role is, is that of education and it's both internal and external. So we do these external 10-week um, Haskell courses in various countries, last year Ethiopia, this year Mongolia, even though that was virtual due to the pandemic. But um, we also do other things like um, explanatory, explanatory videos um, about for pool operators, for example, and also internal education for our developers. And yeah, that's a lot of fun. Yeah, um, I've read um, the papers that you've authored with others, of course, and uh, um, I'm, I've been fortunate enough to do a lot of back and forth with you um, while I was trying to find out, you know, how the, the, the incentive schemes work. Um, to that point, um, could you explain the basic architecture of uh, Cardano's uh, incentive scheme and what, you know, why it exists? Right. So the... Basically, the, the starting point or the, the original observation was that if you do it too naively, like, for example, Bitcoin does, then you run into problems. Um, I mean, Bitcoin, it's basically just the more blocks you produce, the more money you get for it, the more rewards you get. And, uh, of course, there's also always an overhead in, in mining blocks. So, um, and that overhead normally is like fixed or at least it doesn't grow linearly, which means you can always save money by flogging together. So that's why in Bitcoin you have these mining pools. So it makes financial sense for people to, to gang together, um, save costs basically and uh, increase their, their rewards. But that of course is not what, what you want from the point of view of, of a fan of decentralization and, and blockchain enthusiast. I mean, you don't want to be there. Very few powerful tools, you, uh, pools, you want um, to, to have many medium-sized or small pools, ideally. So that was the basic observation that if you do it too simple, if you, if you just pay basically flat rewards for each block that's produced, then that has this problem that, um, that you get few powerful big pools that, and you basically end up with a more or less centralized system. So from the very beginning, when we designed the incentives for Cardano, we wanted to avoid that. And I mean, in Bitcoin, it's still sort of kind of works because people are aware of that and then they basically give up. I mean, they don't just maximize their profits and instead they know it's bad for the, for the system. So they restrain themselves. And we wanted to design a system where that's not necessary, where basically everybody can just behave rational and, and try to maximize profit. And even though everybody does that, um, you still get a nice decentralized system. So that was the main design goal. And we have various mechanisms to, to achieve that. So basically the simplest one is that we cap rewards um, once a pool reaches a certain size that's parameterizable, that size. So if, if, uh, rewards, if a pool grows larger than that, then the pool rewards don't increase anymore. So it also doesn't sink, so, so, but it is kept at that value. And because it, if it grows larger and larger, then that same fixed amount 
at that cap value uh, has to be split amongst more and more people. So every individual contributor to that pool gets less. So that's the basic idea how we prevent pools from growing too large. So, uh, right. And then of course there are all sorts of refinements. Um, we also have this protection against civil attacks. Uh, so we basically uh, ask pools to, to put, um, to have skin in the game, to put their own money into their own pools then they can slightly increase their rewards, which has the effect that if they try a civil attack, which means basically creating many, many fake identities and fake pools, then obviously they can't put equally much money into each of those copies. So the rewards are slightly less and, and that's supposed to prevent that from happening. So there are modifications in the formula. The actual formula looks complicated, but the idea is actually very simple, just that, um, <clears throat> I mean, more or less proportional scheme, the, the bigger pool, the more reward it gets, but with these modifications that prevent pool from getting too large. Yes, I've I've seen I've seen the formula and I've I've studied it in detail um, in in running my pool. And um, the just to summarize, the the two major sort of components of of the reward formula are the K factor, which caps the rewards past mm -hmm. a certain point, and then a zero, which uh, tries to incentivize the uh, pool operators to put in their own money into their right. pool because that gives them an extra sort of kick in the returns yes. uh, for right. them and for the pool, uh, you know, the, the delegators. Exactly. Now, in terms of trying to maximize, um, you know, the function of that formula, I, I understand that it has a lot of parameters and it has a lot of uh, moving parts, but um, what is the biggest impact in, uh, have you done some sort of what we call in finance sensitivity analysis and what is the biggest impact on rewards um, if you look at that formula? I don't think that we explicitly have done a sensitivity an analysis, but of course you're right that those two parameters you mentioned, they are the most important ones. And actually, I, I don't think there are that many others in the formula itself. I mean, there are other parameters in the system, of course, that have an influence like treasury and how many reserves we use and so on. But I think in the formula itself, it's basically just the K and the A0, and they obviously have the biggest impact then. Yes. And okay, well, um, in terms of, um, in terms of uh, you know, thinking about risks and returns, some of the players in this space might be coming into Cardano as investors. You know, they, uh -huh. they, they tend to think um, in two dimensions. You know, one dimension is the rewards, and the second dimension is risks. Now, as far as I understand, the rewards are more or less fixed. You can maximize them by putting your money in a, uh, um, a, in a pool that has the biggest um, uh, number of uh, ADA uh, pledged to it because that's where the, you know, most of the rewards will go. But as far as I can tell at this point, um, the, the, additional money that you will get additional ADA rewards you will get as a, as a, as a function of um, putting your money in a, in a um, pledged pool um, is, is not that different, um, especially on the smaller scale, um, uh, you know, pools where, you know, the, the, the pledge uh, ranges from anywhere from 100,000 to 2.53 million. The, 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 upside is limited there. Um, so in terms of rewards and risks, you know, is, is there any 
consideration for investors to uh, to uh, um, to take into account when they make uh, staking decisions? Um, you are right that right now the the influence of of especially this A zero is not very high, so it doesn't really make much of a difference for for people that stake um, how large the pool is, how big the pledge is, and um, I mean. As all things, it's, I mean, there's always a trade-off. And in that case, for this A0, the trade-off is that, I mean, if you have it high, then you get this strong effect that you mentioned that it's uh, much more lucrative to invest into a large pool, into a highly pledged pool, high, highly pledged pool. But the downside is that it makes it more difficult for people to actually start a pool because then if, if they can't put down a large pledge, then their pool would, would have a significant disadvantage. So in the beginning, uh, I mean, we are still in early days, of course, but, but shortly before the Shelley launch, there was a lot of discussion also in the community. People were very worried um, that they won't be able to, to put down a pledge that's high enough. So we probably, I mean, we, we've set this A0 quite low, so more on... I mean, between the civil attack protection on the one hand and fairness and making it easy for, for smaller players, um, we somehow put it quite far to the side of the smaller players. Um, and But of course, we are constantly monitoring it and we have lots of discussions with the community and uh, lots of pro proposals um, that are being discussed. So we are, of course, open to changing that and we are listening carefully to what people say. And I mean, of course, you, I mean, the large pools have obviously different interests to, to the small pools. And um, we also don't want to take sides, obviously, but we just try to, um, I mean, to listen to everybody and we look carefully at proposals and, um, yeah, and hope that together with the community we come to We'll get to a setting for those parameters that, that serves all the concerns, both of the pool operators and the stakers and everybody. But it's it's difficult, of course. And um, I mean, there are lots of moving parts, as you said, and we must be careful to, I mean, I mean, it, it ha can have large effects if we change something. So we uh, try to be very careful and, and consider it and consider the consequences before, before we change something. But yes. I, I'm sure that something will change. I mean, we are also now uh, get, looking at the data and see what's happening. And I'm sure we will adjust it sooner or later. I see. Um, so to, to that, you know, I would like to ask, when you do the, the decision to change something, mm -hmm. what exactly goes into uh, the decision-making process in IOG? Well, it's, um, I mean, first of all, as I said, we are, of course, listening to the community. I mean, we do mm -hmm. realize that uh, we are nothing without our community. So, um, I mean, we take that very seriously. So we also scan social media and we have meetings with the stakeholder operators and there are um, these change proposals and so on. So that's certainly an important input. And then, of course, we must balance lots of things. I mean, the, the science must be solid. So as you mentioned, I mean, there, there is actually a paper, published paper that serves as a foundation for this mechanism. So we had good reasons for choosing this particular shape of reward function. So of course, we must be sure that uh, not to jeopardize that. So, um, so that's one thing. I mean, it must still be like solid and principled. And then of course, um, yeah, I mean, it's the community aspect that we obviously want to, to keep the community happy. 
then of course our own interest. I mean, we are also a big staker. So, so that's, it's lots of um, internal discussions as well. I mean, it's the marketing people and the communications people and the scientists, of course, and the engineers also, obviously, I mean, you must be able to implement it in an efficient way as well. So yeah, there are lots of, um, of, of voices that need to be heard before we reach a decision. Yes. So that's also why we can't move that fast because I mean, there are lots of concerns that have to be listened to first. I see. I mean, it's 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 quite interesting to to see how you um, arrive at your decisions. You know, because you, at this point, you are the uh, the, the the major uh, sort of hub of making those decisions, and it has a you know a positive and negative effect depending on what you do and uh, what, what what the community will uh, you know think about your moves. But um, I want to touch upon the. Um, the issue of exchanges being active stake uh, stakers and stake pools, you know, creating eToro just recently created uh, a bunch of pools with zero, um, you know, fees and whatnot, and uh, mm -hmm. and hundred uh, um, percent, you know, re reward uh, distribution or whatever. You know, they they the the fees oh the, the fees were hundred percent actually yes, but um, um, so they are geared toward their own um. um uh, stakeholders through that platform, as far as, far as I can tell. But um, what do you think their influence will be on the decentralization um, when major players like Binance and uh, Coin Coin um, Coinbase uh, come into uh, come come into this place? It's a good question, and uh, I don't have a definite answer. And I mean, the the present mechanism doesn't or is not able to do anything about that. I mean, it's also, of course, in principle, not possible to, to look at the address and, and know whether it's a, it's a exchange or not. I mean, it's, it's pseudonymous. But um, so I think that will be, have to be handled by like social measures. Like if you now mention this exchange and if people like it or dislike it, then of course, then, um, I mean, apart from the, the money and the staking rewards, of course, there's also always the, the social aspect and um, and there are discussions and, and forums and so on. So so I think that that will have to, to play a role as well. Like, like people uh, using social pressure basically take, take each other, uh, keep each other in check. So um, if that is uh, perceived as, as negative, if exchanges do that, then and if um, people are educated about how it works and the mechanism, how it works, then they'll maybe avoid such exchanges and then um, put pressure on the exchanges like that. So I don't think we can, there's a technical or mathematical way to, to prevent that. I think it has to work via um, community and, and social media and so on. Yes. But, uh, it's certainly a concern, which we are also aware of. Yes, because w why I'm asking this is that if we, you know, take pure profits into consideration and maximize mm -hmm. for that, then um, the stake would naturally move into pools that provide 0%, um, you know, fixed fees or 0% fees in general. And that might put um, the exchanges in the, in, the, in the spotlight because they might uh, want to entice um, stakeholders like that because they could, you know, you know, be uh, um, benefit from from liquidity, um, mm -hmm. and uh, and their goals are completely different. So they could be okay trying to uh, attract the stake and you know have some cost of you know 
giving the uh, or maintaining the the servers or, or the, the pools um, at, 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 at and uh, and attracting the stake that way. So that could be an acceptable cost for them. And if that were to happen, then you know the stake could move into those pools and and therefore sort of jeopardize the decentralization sort of. If if that were to happen, um, as you mentioned. On, on a protocol level, the, 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 the tools are limited. But um, what do you think about um, the second layer um, solutions where the, the pool operators offer different kinds of services and goods on top of uh, their staking services in general? That could be tailored to the local um, you know, tastes. Let's say that there's a pool in Africa that offers uh, any number of services and speaks the language of, of local population and uh, people will have some affinity to, to those pools. Therefore, keep, uh, they, will, they will be kept um, decentralized that way. If, if that pool, for instance, offers some, um, I don't know, if, if, the, if the pool is run by an accountant, for instance, and that account, uh, accountant also offers um, a tax uh, accounting services as if, you know, paid by the pool fees, for every pool operator that there is, um, then there might be a business case for that, um, and uh, and 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 that could keep the stake in those small pool uh, pools that would otherwise be um, um, non-competitive. I think it's. I mean, I personally think it's certainly a very intriguing idea, and I mean, I do know that um, Charles has always said that this is now just the beginning, and that um, basically for us or, or for the for the system in general. Uh, the stake pool operators are a great um, resource, basically, also for future developments when, for example, Hydra comes, uh, uh, these uh, parallel chains, then uh, somebody will have to run these Hydra heads and then the stake pool operators would be the natural candidates. So, so uh, definitely in future, uh, there's much more also from the protocol point of view that the stake pool operators uh, will be able to do. Um, of course, what you mentioned is, is not part of the protocol, but it certainly makes a lot of sense. So I personally think that's certainly true. And um, yeah, I'm, th I'm thinking about, ways. yeah, I'm thinking oh. about the types of services that exchanges may not necessarily be able to provide because that would right. be the point of differentiation. Uh, mm -hmm. when, when you talk about Hydra heads, for instance, I don't see why um, the exchanges wouldn't be able to do that. If, that's if, if true. It's technical, right? If, right? if it is something that, completely diversified and, and we're talking about something very local something that could exist only in kenya for instance uh -huh. then um the pool could market itself to the local population and be able to attract stake there that would stay there rather than going to the binances of the world or the coin bases of the world and, and pool tool which i'm part of actually we're trying to, to introduce those kind of tools where you know the, the sky's the limit in terms of what the pool operators would offer but we just offer that avenue for them. Um, so that's basically the idea for us to, to add to the diversity and the decentralization of the, of, of the protocol um, and sort of um, uh, provide some counterbalance to what might transpire in, in a couple of months uh, if, if we just keep optimizing for rewards um, and, uh, and, and returns. Um, but I want to, to move on to uh, this new... Um, uh, the discussion of the K parameter uh, and the number of pools. Do right. you think, do you, uh, as, as the uh, uh, mechanism to, to cap the rewards, it 
works beautifully. I, I know that it has, it has done its job. Um, in ITN, it was more iffy. In, in, in mainnet, I think most of the pools have stayed beyond that cap because it hurts to, uh, to stake to a, uh, a, 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 you know, a pool that is uh, mm-hmm. fully pledged or uh, that fully, fully uh, the, the pool that is full. Um, and, um, but from a point of view of reaching Nash equilibrium, which was the, uh, the, the assumption in the papers, um, mm-hmm. do you think we have been successful or is it too early to tell? Um, I mean, as you say, I think the, the most important part is that we don't see pools or at least not a lot that are actually be, um, above that, that saturation limit. I think that's the most important goal. And as you say, and that seems to work beautifully. Um, obviously, in the Nash equilibrium, we would right now have exactly 155 pool, uh, 150 pools. And we have a lot more. And so we have this fat tail. Um, so in that sense, obviously we haven't reached it and we probably also will never reach it. I mean, we, we ex- I mean, because Nash equilibrium of course assumes like more or less static state. I mean that the pools, no new pools appear and, uh, and the pools all perform in a steady way and nothing changes, parameters don't change and so on. And uh, that people are perfectly rational. So there are obviously lots of assumptions that are unrealistic. Nevertheless, it's, one of the most important tools you actually have to analyze these sorts of systems. So that's why I feel even though uh, in reality, we will never really reach that Nash equilibrium, it, it's still valuable to to have it and, and to, to analyze it, um, even though nobody expects to, to actually reach it. And I think this, this fat tail is also not a problem. I mean, the only disadvantage of having more than K pools, of course, is the additional costs because each pool has these operational costs that have to be and the the costs have to be paid by somebody. So in that sense, the community or every single delegator loses some money for each additional pool that could otherwise have been used for rewards. So therefore it's not completely unproblematic to have arbitrarily many pools. Um, But I mean, the the number we have now is still, it's still very good, of course. Um, And we, we want to increase K anyway to to some numbers. So I don't think that's a problem that we have more pools than K right now. Okay. Well, it's, it's really good to hear that the fact that we have not reached Nash equilibrium and maybe never, never uh, reached Nash equilibrium is not going to have any security implications or any other serious implications for the system. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's good to, to know because I, I personally think that some, I'm, I've seen some, some pools that are being run with 500K um, or million K. And some, some people might be just running their own uh, pool with their own money and be quite happy with, uh, with the outcomes because mm-hmm. they are not paying somebody else. Um, so, um, so those might be the smaller pools that are being run. And here, I think the, the fact that the node works so beautifully um, because it enables anybody to run it um, if, with, with you know, minimal technical skills um, is, is actually contributing to that because you just get the node up and running and it just mm-hmm. doesn't crash, right? Like we had in ITN. <laughs> so you, you just keep it running. Um, and and that's, that's, that's great. But um, in terms of K and what goes into the, um, the, the decision to, to move that, is it price dependent? 
um, in your, you know, because I, if I were the architect looking at this whole big network, I would make it price dependent because there is a certain point, uh, an economic point where you do not want to go beyond uh, because the quality of nodes, the quality of people that run them uh-huh. would significantly diminish if you do not have that. Um, or you could have uh, one player uh, spawning hundreds of nodes and, and thereby you know, earning his keep that way rather than each individual running a maximum of two or three pools. So um, what goes in, t- in, in the decision to move the K? Um, of course, as you say, I mean, the, I mean, the, the pools must still be viable. I mean, they must be still, still make enough money to, I mean, to, yeah, to be worth their while and, and to be able to actually offer good service. So that's one thing. So in that, uh, therefore it obviously depends on the price of ADA as well. Um, then of course there are network considerations, um, how, how many nodes can the can the network support so we're also looking into that right now um then as i said the i mean the cost it because it is an overhead of course to have many many um many nodes because they each cost something but the main consideration really is um yeah network on the on the technical on the engineering side and then, of course, you must be careful that even if the price of ADA is, is high enough to support a lot of pools, it can also always drop at some point. And yep. uh, one thing we, we certainly don't want is that people um, become pool operators and basically um, base their, their, their income on, on being a pool operator. And then because there is some fluke and, and ADA drops for a while, uh, then those people basically have existential problems. I mean that. They, so we must be careful to, to to not be too optimistic in in raising it. Obviously, so, so to have enough slack to to also be be still fine um, when the price of ADA drops for a while. So therefore, it has to be somewhat conservative. And then there are also right now like more silly practical considerations. It's just if you have many pools, then people also would like to delegate to to more than one pool, or and um, just technically right now this is not easily done i think in data loss right now it's not even possible and you can do it from the command line but that's a bit tricky so that's also one consideration while we are a bit slow um increasing the the size now before it's basically more convenient for people then also to deal with with a larger number of pools so it's it's these practical considerations as well i mean i could i can tell you from a risk perspective um if you have um a um Let's say that rewards are on average fixed, um, but the the uh, performance isn't. There's volatility mm-hmm. there. Um, naturally, if you delegate, you stick to many pools with the same cost structure. You will um, you will have an upside uh, mm-hmm. rather than just putting all your money in one pool sure. because it it just evens out the volatility in the growth. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and that would be a desirable, very desirable um, feature for mm-hmm. large investors. Because, yes. Yes. It it just maximizes your profits. Um, to the to the question of uh, rewards, you know, we yes. know that uh, part of the rewards in in a reward formula um, are capped, and part of the rewards are uh, sort of slashed if you are um, um, if if your pool has 
a pledge that is less than the full size of the pool. Now, mm -hmm. my question to you is, um, where does um, does that delta go? Is, does it go to treasury? Has, has it been changed that it will go to, oh. to reserves? Uh, because I know that the performance gap goes to the reserves, um, which makes the the uh, the calculation of uh, of, of exact um, you know schedule uh, of of depletion uh, a little bit tricky because you don't know how much is coming back to you. Um, but if but where does this delta between a fully pledged full and a, and a minimal pledged full go at this point reserves reserves but okay. but uh, but it's um i mean that was like a last minute change originally it was supposed to go to the treasury yeah as also the the performance actually so originally the plan was to put everything to the treasury but then we realized that um because um there's still a lot of stake that has not been delegated at all. And because pledge levels are relatively low, that then um, basically, even if we set the treasury um, parameter to, to zero, the treasury would still have gotten, I don't know, 30% or 40% uh, of the monetary expansion every epoch. And that uh, didn't sound ideal. So, so at the last uh, second, basically, we, we changed that. And um, you're right, of course, that now it's it's a bit. I mean, it's not so predictable anymore how how fast the depletion of the reserves will pro, uh, progress. But we thought that was like the less of of two evils. Yeah, so, I mean, it 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 probably is the the the, the best thing we could have done um, in terms of uh, you know making the the protocol or the rewards last longer um, in that uh -huh. in that regard. Um, but um, in in terms of um, in terms of the um, the reward formula, I know that there have been some discussions about changing it. Um, mm -hmm. What are your thoughts about um, that CIP that has been put in? I think they they are thinking about introducing a an S shaped reward formula. Um, does that make sense? From because I know that when you set up the reward formula, it's not only the rewards, the incentives that matter, also. Um, you, you, the current curve also takes into consideration some security properties of, of the uh, protocol, um, as far as I, as far as I remember. Um, you, what are your thoughts about that proposal? You're certainly right that you can't just do arbitrary stuff. I mean, if you want the, um, the, the paper or the results from the paper to still hold, then you I mean, the, the function must have certain properties, so it must have a certain shape. But um, but it doesn't have to have exactly this shape that it has now. It just needs to have certain properties. So there's certainly room to to uh, change something. And I know that we have this uh, change uh, proposal. And I also know that that we are, um, I mean, thoroughly looking at the proposal and and analyzing it. So so we're certainly working on that and open to to improvements. I mean, the complaint is basically that the impact of pledge for, especially for small pools is, is very low. I mean, there's at the moment very little incentive for a small pool to put more pledge in. I mean, they would get higher rewards, but but that's a, a tiny amount basically. Yeah, but so, I, I, so I also think that that's, that's a function of K, right? If the K was 2000, for instance, right? Then, mm -hmm. then a two, 2 million pledge would actually be a lot. Um, right, that's also true, of course, yes. But um, yeah, so well, we don't know when that's going to happen. Um, so I, I, I also understand why they, they are putting this, this you know, new shape in there so that 
a, a pledge over and above certain, you know, size wouldn't actually make that much more so that you could encourage the entire network to be um, pledged at a certain level. Mm -hmm. But in, in my understanding, that also introduces uh, some variability in terms of uh, the, uh, the pledge itself, the level of the pledge, because, you know, if, if ADA is 10 cents, that's one level, right? And mm -hmm. then if uh, ADA is, uh, you know, uh, $1 or $10, mm -hmm. you don't want to be stuck in that, in that level, which is, you know, going to be pretty high at that point. You, might, you need to be flexible to move it down. And, and then the S-shape right. actually penalizes you, uh, right, if you are below the ideal pledge. Um, uh -huh. I mean, again, I, I, haven't, I haven't looked at the CIP in detail, but my general observations would be that if you're, if you're adopting an S-shape. Uh -huh. um, but um, yeah, I, now I wanted to, I wanted to get to the point of um, the, uh, the ranking because I think, uh -huh. you know, one of the major assumptions in, in the papers and, and the reason why the protocol would work was that, or reach equilibrium was that the, uh, the rankings would work. And we uh -huh. know that at this point, for some reason, the, the rankings don't work. And, uh, you know, and, and uh, people are confused about where to put their money and especially they're not technically savvy people who do not know how the protocol works or how to, uh, you know, uh, intelli intelligently delegate. So they mm -hmm. look at some numbers, the pools that are up in the top, you know, 10 or top 15 and then delegate and those tend to change and, and, and introduce some sort of, um, uh, 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 volatility. So, do do you think the um, the the, uh, the reward, um, you know, the ranking actually works, or would even if it was um, ideally um, calibrated and and worked ideally, do you think it would work in order to push the system into that Nash equilibrium? I mean, that was certainly the. Intention or is the intention of the ranking to, I mean, basically how the ranking works is it uses this what we call non-myopic um, utility. Mm -hmm. um, so the idea is basically you, the ranking doesn't tell you how much you will get right now if you if you delegate to that pool, but how much you will get in the long run. And so basically what it does is it looks whether this pool, given its parameters, has a chance to be among the top K pools. And if yes, then it assumes that this pool will eventually be saturated and it gives you basically this utility based on that assumption. Whereas if it's not in the best K pools, it will assume that it won't attract more delegation when it gives you this utility. So that's the basic idea. So if everybody followed, strictly followed the suggestion of the ranking, then we would indeed end up in this Nash equilibrium. So that's the general idea of the ranking function. And um, of course there are some, I mean, right now there are problems. So we are, I mean, actually before I uh, now talk to you, I was actually looking into that. So I'm also part of the effort to, to improve this. Uh, so there are some problems. I mean, for example, one aspect is this pool performance that also enters the reward formula. And uh, that is a bit tricky in, because of how Ouroboros, how Cardano works, because we it's not really observable how, how well a pool performed because we don't know how many blocks a pool could have produced. We can, I mean, we know because it's proof of stake, if a pool has 1% stake, then it should produce 1% of the blocks. Uh, but if, but it, 
is subject to a statistical fluctuation. So, so if it only produces 0.9% of the blocks in a given epoch, it doesn't mean it's slacked. It could also just be bad luck that it was elected pool leader less times. So, um, I mean, so we have to estimate this pool performance somehow. And then, of course, we have, especially for new pools, there's the problem that we don't have any historical data um, to base this estimation on. So you make must make some assumptions. I mean, do we assume that the new pool will be perfect? So do we give it the benefit of the doubt, which is probably what we um, what we will do. But of course, you could also say be pessimistic and and first, I mean, I, I say would, I would I would say <laughs> yeah, I would say not to show it because what will happen. My my sense is that if I'm a bad pool, if I'm if I'm making bad sort of um, uh, you know you know. My, my pool is not producing a good amount of uh, blocks, then then I would be encouraged to, to create another one and another one because that ranking would be higher every time. Um, right. th there is a question of my, you know, my delegators moving from my pool to the new pool, but at, at least if you don't have anything because people moved out of your pool, then you are would be encouraged to actually create more pools. So may maybe the, the ideal, and that's just a suggestion, would be mm. not to show the performance until you reached a point where there's statistical, uh, there's significant statistical data to back up that ranking. Uh, and we could be right. talking about a month or, or something like that. So those pools would probably would not be shown. Um, so that, 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 that would be my sort of uh, guess. Looking at, at, at the quality of software, I, <laughs> I have to say that you have to try really hard to, to make sure that your pool doesn't perform. I mean, it's, it just mm. works. It's, it's such a great sort of, uh, and I can't praise uh, Duncan and whoever created this. It's such a beautiful piece of software. It always works. I mean, I had so many problems with ITN in early days, especially. It, it, it iterated into something that was workable, but you, you would never know if you're going to get the block. And, and, uh -huh. uh, but this one is, is just amazing. So, you know, waiting a little bit may not be a, a bad idea for, you know, to, to, to get the right um, you know, statistics for that. Right. And of course, of course, the problem is that um, for smaller pools, it's, you must wait long. Um, I mean, to get the same level of significance, you, you would have to wait longer because, uh, I mean, it produces so few blocks that if you don't get any block in epoch, doesn't necessarily mean the, the pool is switched off. It could just mean it had bad luck and for smaller pools, that's more likely. So it's, it's not completely straightforward how to do that, but we are look, uh, working at that right now to, to somehow make that better. Yes. Yeah. So I, 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 what do you think about these alternative rankings that are popping up? I mean, ADA pools that have, have its own ranking. Mm. And um, do you think that's uh, uh, undesirable from a protocol point of view? To have alternative ranking that that, I mean, at this point, it's it, it provides utility because Daedalus doesn't work, so you have to have some sort of alternative to uh, to 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 rank mm -hmm. these polls, and um, you know you might disagree with that uh, methodology or whatnot or not, but at least it's there and and it allows you to sort of make some intelligent decisions rather than you know looking at uh, the random um, numbers in in, in Daedalus. Um, to that point, I wanted to basically say it would be much better if Daedalus was kind of turned off that ranking because it probably confuses a lot of people. And it's, it's probably mm -hmm. a, 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 a very popular sort of wallet. Um, and uh, 
maybe it's beneficial from a point of view stake moving. Um, you know, if the stake moves a lot, then you, you might get entropy better uh, because that's that's kind of used in the, <laughs> in, in the protocol. But beyond that, I think, you know, um, it, it might it might have some confusion. Uh, it might introduce some confusion. So what, what do you think about these alternative ways of, of, um, of assessing pools? I think, I, I mean, in general, of course, it's always great if the community does something. I mean, that's what we want to achieve. And I mean, that's what Charles always has said, that if he can step down and retire, uh, I mean, the beautiful thing is that Cardano will just uh, keep going on. So in that that sense, of course, uh, it, it's always great if, if there are alternative inputs and um, various points of view and, and people concentrating on different metrics and so on. I think it is important, however, or would be desirable if people understood the underlying principle, especially this non-myopic aspect. I think there's a danger if you're too short-sighted and if you just, uh, basically, if the metrics uh, lead people to just putting, uh, dragging delegators to, to the pool that right now uh, or last epoch paid the, the most rewards or something like that. That might be, dis uh, I mean, that might not be ideal. But as you say, I mean, if it's like solid metrics and uh, especially now that data loss is somewhat lacking, um, uh, it's certainly better than nothing. So yeah, I think it's important that we tr keep trying to explain how it's supposed to work and, and what the ideas is so that we'll maybe guide these third-party metrics in, into, a, into a good direction. But in general, it, it's very admirable, of course, and, and very desirable to have lots of people that uh, put energy and time into creating things like that and can never harm to, to have outside sources of, of information. Fantastic. Do, now, do you have any um, idea about the timeline of these parameters moving? I know that there have been some discussions and whatnot in the background. Um, at IOG maybe uh, about moving some of these parameters. Mm -hmm. is, is there a, uh, a set schedule for moving CAVE or A0, et cetera? Not a set schedule, but I think it won't last very long. As I said, for CAVE, for example, there are these practical considerations that we first want to solve the problem of how you can actually delegate, how large investors can actually handle, practically handle delegating to many pools without having to order 100 uh, hardware wallets or something. Um, so that's the one thing. But in principle, um, I mean, it, those things K and A0 could in principle, um, from a technical point of view, be changed every, every epoch. I mean, you just it's just a parameter that could be changed. Um, so I don't expect it to be very long, but there's no, no fixed schedule. But um, I would say it's probably more a matter of weeks not, I mean, definitely not years, uh, probably a matter of weeks, but, but I don't, um, I don't know for sure. Okay. All right. Well, do you have any other closing remarks, Lars? I mean, this was a, an amazing interview and I, I basically covered most of the things that people might be thinking about uh, Cardano in terms of rewards. Um, if they, mm. if you have any closing remarks. Um, not really just, yeah, I can just ask people to, to be patient. I mean, there, I think there was a lot of uh, heat now on, on Twitter and other, other channels about, especially about the ranking. And, and of course, I understand that people get frustrated and um, 
and I mean, it's it's obviously their money or even their livelihood at stake. So, so I mean, I can't blame people for for taking it very seriously and being upset. But but we are certainly working very hard on on fixing the problems. So I just hope that people will, um, I mean, give us some some time to 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 fix these things. And of course, as always, we we don't want to to be too hasty as well. I mean, that has always been our one of our guiding principles to do things properly and to with proper science and based on, on, I mean, in a principled way, not just do some ad hoc thing. I mean, of course we could like ad hoc do quickly something to, to the ranking or whatever, but that's not the way we want to do things. I mean, we want to like do the right thing and that sometimes takes more time, but I hope that in the long run it will, will be beneficial. Yes. I mean, from my point of view, it would be, it would be very beneficial if um, some sort of, um, some amount of resources was uh, dedicated to, uh, uh, creating some awareness uh, about these rankings and about parameters uh, mm -hmm. among the, the the stakeholders, maybe some sort of a huge marketing campaign to educate people because people who are rank who are staking right now, they make hasty decisions. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I, I hear a lot about uh, stake pool operators losing their stake just because they are ranking in ADA pools, for instance, went mm. from you know number one to number eleven or something, mm. uh, even though there is no difference in terms of amount of money that uh, the potential um, the stakeholder would would have made. Um, right. But they make the jump, um, and and there are there are no gains to be uh, to be had if if you're jumping the pool and try to harvest sort of uh, VRF. Or, or you know, saying that oh, this pool has produced uh, you know ten you know uh, two two times its assigned assigned blocks. Mm. Now I have to move out because it's gonna you know mm. next next epoch it's gonna. Those are the things that people may not understand because it has mm. to do with probability. But maybe there are ways uh, you know the community the the IOG or as the Cardano Foundation could find ways to to educate the stakeholders about it in a simple terms. That that would help a lot. Yeah, I mean, that is, of course, I mean, large part of my job. So we're definitely looking into that. And um, we're right now also, I mean, planning things like that, actually, um, like uh, webinars and, and creating material to, to educate people. And I hope that interviews like this one now also help in a small way, at least, too. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I, you know, think that, I think, thank you so much for coming. And, uh, you know, it's, it definitely helps. Um, these things are not very easy to, to, to explain. Okay. I mean, you could understand them, but, you know, trying to translate them in, in simple terms is, is, uh, is quite challenging without losing the essence. And uh -huh. I've tried to do 10 minute sort of uh, videos on, on my pool channel to try to, to educate people about the parameters. But uh, it's it still requires a certain degree of knowledge of math and, and probabilities and, and things like that in order to be able to grasp these concepts. Mm -hmm. But um, I hope that maybe in the future some sort of video materials that are five minutes long that just basically shine a light on a simple parameter in a very accessible, you know, with illustrations could could help. I'm just just mm -hmm. basically a suggestion, but not yes. No, it's Thank you. No, no, that's certainly a good idea. Yeah. But otherwise, thank you so much, Lars, for coming. It was a great interview. And uh, I hope we will see some interesting uh, um, developments uh, in, in, the, in the reward function and, uh, and, and hope to see you back in, in, when the Gogans come in. Gogans comes. Definitely. Right. Thank you very much for having me. 
This marks the end of episode number five with uh, Lars Brunius, the director of education at IOG. I'm your host, Umed Saidov, and this was Slot Leader. I'll see you next time.